Welcome to Words First, talking text in opera. Honestly, diction is not something I've ever thought much about. But a few months ago, my colleague, theater dialect coach Amy Stoller, called me up to ask if I would moderate a panel on opera diction coaching that she was putting together for VASTA, the Voice and Speech Trainers Association. And so the subject moved to the forefront. The panel was great fun, and through it, I had the opportunity to speak to a number of people who are working hard to make sure that opera text is understood. Two of them, Stefano De Peppo and Catherine Leboeuf, are on today's episode. One of the things that I found most fascinating is how much diction, as well as dialect, plays into not only word comprehension, but emotional presentation and characterization as well. It's a role that often gets passed over when talking about who puts together an opera. But it's incredibly important. My first guest is Italian bass baritone Stefano De Peppo, who is much sought after as a performer, but has been helping singers with their Italian diction since the early days of his career in London. Stefano found that his coaching business picked up considerably during the pandemic, and he has much to say about how he approaches text as a singer and why good diction is so important. Here he is from our interview on May 7th. Stefano, welcome to Words First. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I'm so excited to have you on here. Hey, Katora, thank you so much for having me. Um, so you're Italian. You've been singing since you were very young. In fact, you were in a boys' choir in Milan for six years. Uh, would you say, have you, have you always wanted to be an opera singer? Has that always been your goal? Well, uh, always, uh, if you speak about my uh, childhood, I would say that since I was, since I had the opportunity to uh, enter the uh, children chorus at La Scala in Milan, that was the only, the, the uh, you know, the start of my passion for opera. Because before that, my mom uh, was a pianist. She always loved uh, uh, playing the piano at home. She, of course, uh, tried to make me to become a pianist, but really didn't really have that that feeling. But they tell me that I was, uh, uh, when I was like four or five years old, I would sing with the 45 um, RPMs of my sisters, you know, the songs of the time, the Italian songs mostly. And so I always loved singing. And when I, um, when I joined the chorus, it's when I uh, didn't know anything about opera, I have to say. And uh, I started, you know, to be part of operas. The first opera that I took part was Pagliacci. Nice. And uh, you know, there is a little, uh, in both in, in, the, in, in the beginning of the end, uh, the, the children's are there. And, uh, and I fell in love with opera. And I slowly, I, I spent there six, uh, seven seasons uh, until nature made it impossible for me to <laughs> keep on <laughs> in the course. And uh, but I at the end I remember that I, I mean I got passionate about opera. I, I was a little bit like uh, a weird um, young boy because my friends 
really I, I, I was the only one mm -hmm. and uh, and I remember that I thought I want to become one of them when I when I will be uh, a, big, a big boy yeah sort of like me in dance I you know I, I'm always uh, think it's so amazing when I when I meet people that that knew at a, at a pretty young age what they wanted to pursue as they reached adulthood and um, yeah I was I was the same way and it, it's it's rare it's not something that you see very it is, it is. Um, before we get to talking about diction, because I do want to talk about your diction coaching, I, I, I want to talk to you about your own singing and, and your own text interpretation as a singer. Where where does the text come in for you when learning a role? Um, I think it has really a great importance uh, for me. Um, I'm, I've always been one of those uh, 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 opera buffs who always loved, um, you know, uh, text also in terms of uh, um, expression and of being able through the text to uh, give emotions in, I'm talking about opera of course mm -hmm. so um, that's why um, you see on, uh, in my on the back here a picture of, um, of one of the uh, of the greatest singers to me who was really able uh, even if she didn't really have the greatest diction Maria Callas but she was able through words really to express the, the amazingly the feelings so i always was attracted to people who to singers who uh, really made me feel something through through the words mm -hmm. so when i started to uh, study i also had a teacher my first teacher was really into uh, text mm -hmm. i remember that was many years ago oh my god almost uh, i would say 37 38 years ago uh, i'm old <laughs> oh stop <laughs> so, um, uh, and, uh, you know, opera is music, melodrama, uh, music and, and drama and, and, uh, and text and, and a play to put together. Um, so I, I think that for a singer, try to accomplish this total, um, melting pot of, uh, technique where you, you must be able to really sing without uh, you know range and colors and etc and and text so i personally i'm one of those singers who uh, somehow sacrificed or and, and i still do beauty of singing in terms of uh, um you know the perfect vocal uh, emission of the voice um to text Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes for us, for singers, it's not easy to really be able to to pronounce correctly all the words because of the all the uh, quote unquote difficulties that some um, vocal uh, passage have. But I I've always thought that uh, big pronunciation was the, the the main thing that I was supposed to do when when studying uh, a role and when performing. Do you think that 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 kind of diction enunciation that that does it help you as a performer of a of a of a role? Do you feel like being able to really chew those words helps you actually put yourself into the character? I guess so, and I also think that um, you know, especially I mean, I, I'm Italian. I grew up in Italy. I didn't sing a lot in in Italy, but nevertheless, uh, even if you go, if you listen to Italian singers, not always the fact of being Italian means oh. Uh, I understand this sing whatever uh, the singer is. is uh, sometimes, I mean, if you talk to an Italian um, person, 
Uh, I mean, Italian people who don't particularly like opera, for them, opera is something to, really hard to understand because most of sing most singers don't really uh, don't have this clear enunciation of of, of words. Um, so I think that for myself, because it has been so important and still is, of course, I think that uh, um, it has been a little bit of uh, one of, of my trademarks being able to, even if you sing, especially, I mean, I live in, in America, uh, in the US, and uh, if you sing in Italian, I would say that most people do not, unless they, do, don't, they know the opera, uh, they do not understand what you're talking about. But if you try to make it, even if there are super titles, if you try to make it as clear as possible, also trying to color words, and then that's a little bit of another aspect of this, but it's part of that. Um, I think that even if you do not understand, uh, I don't know exactly what it means, visi d'arte, visi d'amore, or uh, all'alba vincerò, but it, the way you say it, it can somehow go over the limitation of really knowing the language and the words. So you think it matters. I mean, addiction matters in interpretation of character and in being able to emit an emotional life, even if, as you say, you're singing in a language that largely the audience doesn't understand. You know, I, I, it definitely uh, it makes sense, I think, for most people that English diction in, in, in America needs to be perfect for people to really feel like opera is something to listen to. But you actually feel that uh, in an Italian opera, French opera, or whatever, a language that's not normal for the, the the large portion of the audience to be speaking, that that diction actually helps somebody craft the character enough that someone that doesn't understand the language can really start to understand the emotional life of what's happening. I do think so, mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Because also, if you think about, I know, uh, a poem, if you just speak the words uh, clearly, uh, yeah, it, it, it's okay, but you have also to, to color yeah. the words so that it becomes really an expression of something. Same thing when you go to a play, when you when and, and you watch a play, and unless the words have a meaning, um, they are just words. Yeah. But of course, I mean, in, in talking about opera, we have definitely a handicap because singing, I don't know. Um, I love you, or I feel I'm, I'm going to die right now, singing it, it's already a little bit of a handicap that we singers have, because it's not easy to express those words with music. Yes. But if we try our best, I think that's, uh, that's already a, um, a gear, uh, a, a, a more and, and an opportunity to, to achieve what opera should, uh, should be. So this, when the words become clearer, the storytelling becomes clearer. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Even if you don't really understand the meaning yeah. of the word, yeah, I, I think it happens also uh, to. Uh, it has happened to me talking about I don't know my, my first approach with with English. Even if uh, even if I studied English at school in Italy, but the first time that I went to, I, I moved to London. My my first uh, step uh, outside <laughs> Italy was living in London for three years. And I remember the first time that I went to, to a movie, because in Italy they, they, uh, they dubbed all movies. Right, of course. So I, I, I went to see it, and I don't remember if it was an English or an American movie, but I, uh, I couldn't understand almost anything unless really uh, uh, or, you know, the words were 
expressed and spoken by good actors that even if you don't understand completely the the meaning of the word you understand the context clearly yeah yeah that makes total sense how how did you become a diction coach Cle clearly diction's important for you so so what was it that that made you start to do that um, well uh, because i <clears throat> i started singing in London, and then eventually, after three years in London, I moved to uh, Mexico City for ten years, okay. and I lived there, and that, that's where I really started my my career. So, of course, being the only Italian, most of the times, the uh, yeah, I would say most of the times, or almost always, I was the only Italian in the cast. So, of course, the rehearsals process, uh, it you know, first of all, to my ear, uh, listening to some mistakes, ob obvious mistakes, because I mean, you you can. Hear me, I, I make mistakes speaking in, Eng in English. So, of course, my colleagues would make mistakes uh, during rehearsals. And it was my instinct or even their instinct to ask me, uh, Stefano, how do you pronounce this word? And I would uh, either, you know, spontaneously correct them or, uh, or I was asked to do that. So it became, then eventually I was invited to some... Um, Back in Mexico, I was invited to some uh, master class uh, at schools, and uh, and I really found out that I really like it, and it's mm -hmm. something that I really um, the the way, trying to help uh, with what I know that I have, which is uh, knowledge of my of my own language. It really and also trying to make them. Uh, achieve the expression of the words and the phrasing of the of the of, of the musical uh, part of the opera. Mm -hmm. So it, it became short, um, little by little, it became like a, 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 a passion, and of course, also a parallel uh, way of uh, of building my career. Right, something else to connect with yeah, the, exactly. with opera. Yeah. I love that. Um, do you do you find in your diction work, and how how long would you say you've been you've been coaching diction now at this point? Uh, well, I would say that um, here it, it wasn't really like a, a something that I did very often years ago. I did. I was in, I, once again. I was invited from time to time to uh, to to some masterclass. I was asked to give uh, coachings, and um, and then eventually, of course. You know, with a with a pandemic, um, because every everything froze froze in terms of performing. Uh, in, even if I, I was doing it before, but person to person or invited to some master classes, but it became definitely last year um, a momentum to start really seriously um, this uh, this part of uh, of my my job. And uh, and now um, it's something that I'm I'm doing quite a lot, and uh, and I try to you know to find the right timing between my my own career as a singer and doing that. Yeah. So I say I started perhaps twenty something years ago to do it, and uh, but seriously a, a few more years. But definitely from last year, it yeah. has become an important part of my. Of my life. Um, Do you find that native Italian speakers need diction coaching in Italian as, as much as those who are not native speakers uh, when they're singing? Well, uh, if not as much, uh, it definitely sometimes uh, sometimes they do. We do. It, it's interesting because I remember 
21 years ago, I was part of a production of Rossini's La Cenerentola at Juilliard uh, Opera. I was asked at the last moment as a guest uh, artist. And uh, there is this famous Italian, I don't think she's there anymore, Italian coach at Juilliard, whose name is Corradina Caporello. She's a, uh, she, uh, she's a, she's a very uh, known person in, in the field. And I remember that during, during rehearsals, she would give uh, these famous yellow pages of uh, correction to all the singers. And one day she gave me a yellow page with two words that I told that I had, uh, according to her, and actually uh, correctly so, uh, I had pronounced not uh, clearly because I opened too much the E vowel in Italian, uh, E or the E vowel in English, because I, coming from the north, actually we tend to open our E's a little bit more mm. than uh, we should. So she told me, Stefano, this is not pomposetta, but it's pomposetta. So I said, okay, I was corrected too. And uh, if you listen to even, uh, you know, uh, singers, um, Italian singers from the past, famous ones, sometimes you hear things that uh, it's like, eh, oh, why is he or she doing, why is she rolling this hard that she shouldn't, or why is she doubling this consonant that she shouldn't or he shouldn't do? So sometimes we do, <laughs> we do need uh, diction classes as well. Yeah, I see that in in English English speakers going from English speaking to singing. I I think there is that uh, singing is such a different way of pronounce of, of making sound that uh, of course it makes sense. I, I want to go back to something that that you just mentioned right now that um, just the fact that you're from the north and so you pronounce things slightly different for people from the south. And I uh, in Italian opera, do, do you ever work with regional accents? Does that ever come into play? I you know I'm thinking I was actually thinking when I. I was writing the the questions for this. I was thinking about Cavalleria Rusticana, where the opening aria is often sung in Sicilian, and I'm sure that a Sicilian accent of Italian is different from one that comes from Rome or Florence or someplace else. Would you ever uh, make for yourself, or have uh, have you seen Italian singers who would make a different accent based on where they're from uh, within a show? Oh, yes, of course. Um, first of all, for example, you really made a, a great example of Cavalleria Rusticana. The, the initial, the first aria that Turidu sings in is, in, uh, is written in Sicilian. And it's interesting if, if you hear even famous Italian tenors, uh, according to where they, they originally uh, came or come from, you can hear the right or uh, not so right accent in, in, in Sicilian. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but and, and for example, I I'm quite flexible with uh, with with uh, regional uh, uh, accents, and I I can easily recognize it. There are so many in Italy, as you probably know. Yeah. Uh, as countries, of course, but in Italy, really, there are some uh, some not only some accents, but some uh, um, dialects that are really almost languages by by themselves. Uh, so. For example, once I was asked uh, in Sarasota, uh, of all places, uh, to sing, sing in Cenerentola. Uh, interesting, so Rossini also wrote, um, when, when he uh, had to perform back then uh, the operas in Naples, some of the, of the famous arias for uh, the, buff, the basso buffo, the, the, the bass, the comic bass of the, of the opera, 
were actually translated into it into Neapolitan, mm. which has something that I didn't know. And of course, uh, the, you know, Maestro uh, Victor De Renzi, who is uh, uh, he loves to study these things. And uh, he actually, when I went there, he told me, Stefan, I would like, like, no, actually, it was before that, because it, it would have been a little bit like shocking arriving <laughs> oh, in Neapolitan. But he wanted me to sing the first aria instead of in Italian in Neapolitan. Okay. So it was very interesting yeah. because I, it was the only time that I sang in an opera, even if I sang some Neapolitan songs, but I sang uh, an, an aria in, in, a, in a regional dialect, which is not the original language of the of the opera uh, so it was uh, it was interesting and i mean to answer your question yes definitely you can you can spot different uh, accents according to where the the singer the italian singer comes from and and how often does that come up in in diction coaching does it come up at all i mean you're you're coaching largely in, well, in the united states i think so it, it might be yes yeah. well I, I sometimes i coach uh, not very often but it has happened that, that i have coached uh, some Napolitan or Sicilian songs, which there are Napolitan songs. There are so many, especially, you know, written a hundred years ago. Um, Sicilians, uh, Sicilian songs, a few. So because I, I know the, you know, the basic basics of, uh, of those two dialects, I, I, I have coached them, but mm-hmm. it's something that happens really uh, very, very rarely. I, mm-hmm. I even yes, even some Italian singers they ask me because I actually have Napolitan blood, so I uh, I know Napolitan even if I grew up in Milan and I, when I speak Italian I definitely have much like a, a completely kind of northern um, accent, mm-hmm. but uh, knowing Napolitan I can uh, you know help people who need a little bit of a. Of, of of help with with diction, yeah, right. Or regional diction, yeah. It's, I I find the regional diction so fascinating, and of course, you know, we don't think about it in other languages when we're working. I mean, you know, in English, we think about oh, well, we want to use a southern accent or we want to use a Boston accent, or and then you you think, well, of course, that exists in every other language. Yes, uh, it's yes. uh, we don't. It doesn't come up as much in in America putting together a, a piece, but uh, it it. It occurs to me that, of course, this is a thing when you're talking oh, about yeah. characters. And, you know, I can definitely recognize a uh, southern uh, accent from Boston accent, New York sure. accent yeah. in American. But as I told you, in, in, in Italian, there are really sometimes uh, languages. Yeah. If you go, a person from, from Milan who listens to uh, 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 people from a person from, from Bari, from, you know, from the hill, uh, of the boot uh, speaking dialect, you don't understand a single word. Yeah. It's like uh, Arabic almost. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's really, really hard to understand or Sicilian. Um, but many, many, many dialects are, are languages by themselves. Yeah. They have something in common, but, but and I, I think that for, that for you, sorry to interrupt, but no, no. I, I don't know how how uh, familiar are you you are with Italian, but I think that you also can spot different uh, accents from yeah you can hear it when it's when it's different yeah my my Italian is is 
terrible, actually, but but good enough, I think, that if if two people were standing side by side from different spaces, I surely I, I would I would hear the difference. And I, you know, it, it makes me think, you know, just having grown up around Mexican Spanish, um, and then working when I was working in Chile a few years ago, and thinking like I don't even know what these people are saying. It's very different. Spanish also has so so many different accents. Yeah. There according to the country where it's spoken. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I lived in London three years, and that's how I, my my ear got used to uh, English. When I came here, uh, when I moved to New York 20 years ago, I had to get used to, to a very different accent from what I was used oh, yes. to in London. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's a, a two people, a two two countries divided by a common language. Exactly. Oh. Um, so, how uh, how much has your diction work, or has it your diction work, affected you as a singer when you approach a role or when you come into a rehearsal process? Well, uh, definitely, um, I as I, as I told you, I think that I uh, I try to. Uh, when I when I during the the, the studying process of, of, of a role, uh, apart from all the the music that you have to learn and uh, trying to understand the character, but I, I diction is absolutely very important. And you know, I I would say that I have sung ninety eight or ninety five percent of the times throughout my career in Italian. But I also sang uh, twice in German. And uh, which was really one of the most difficult things that I have ever done in my life. I sang Papageno in, uh, in the Magic Flute, and it's a role that I loved. But it was very hard for me to, you know, to because I don't speak German. Yeah. So I had to really uh, work a lot. And I really, for the first time, I thought, oh wow, this is how how um, any non-Italian non-Italian singer uh, suffers. When, when they have to study a role in Italian. But it was really, also I had to learn the dialogues in, in German, it, which was really something that didn't make me sleep at night. <laughs> well, like memorizing uh, uh, sounds that were so hard for me to, to memorize. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I sang in Spanish and I sang in French. I speak Spanish, of course, because I lived 10 years in Mexico and I speak uh, decent Decent French, but of course I had to go through mm, not for Spanish, or uh, I was helped a little bit, but for French, of course, I had to also do the, the as I did in German as well. But the, the, the diction process, because I, I try to I try to be as as uh, faithful to the language as possible, even if you cannot pretend to be perfect. Of course, uh, there will never be uh, uh, an American singer who sings perfect Italian. I will never be able to sing perfect English or uh, or, uh, or French or whatever. Um, but still, for example, you, you reminded me of something. This reminded me, reminded me of something. When I, as I told you, I lived in, uh, in London and I sang there my first uh, operas that I sang in London uh, 30 years ago or more. Uh, they were actually in English. I sang uh, uh, Escamillo in Carmen in English oh, wow. and uh, yeah and Belcore of all roles Belcore oh, in in English so I had to in, you picture Italian with a very heavy Italian accent uh, 
32 years ago, uh, uh, singing one of my first roles of an Italian opera in English. <laughs> but I remember that, uh, um, that there was like a review in, uh, uh, of this uh, performance. Uh, and um, one, one reviewer said that, uh, yeah, young Italian uh, singer, he's still a little bit green in, for, uh, for this role. Nevertheless, we have to say that he understood, we understood every single word he said in English, which for me was like a compliment because uh, I tried my best, or even perhaps because my, um, my accent in, was so heavy in Italian, I mean, excuse me, in English, that perhaps I made an extra effort to be understood in English, and and that was the result. Yeah, congratulations on that. That's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Stefano, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for speaking to me about uh, about your diction journey. This is uh, so oh, wonderful. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. My next guest is diction coach extraordinaire Catherine Leboeuf who not only teaches at Juilliard, Curtis, and the Manhattan School of Music, but works as a diction coach of English-language opera at opera houses throughout the country. Her book, Singing and Communicating in English, is about to go into its second edition. Here she is from our interview on May 13th. You have been diction coaching for a long time. You teach at Juilliard, at the Manhattan School of Music, at the Curtis Institute. You've made rounds at many colleges, universities, opera companies, young artist programs. So I actually just want to start off and ask you, what got you into this career and what do you love about it? What keeps you going with it? Um, I started as a singer mm -hmm. and uh, I was on a voice faculty at Ithaca College and they sort of, because I had lived in Italy for three years and, and was fluent in Italian, sort of threw all the diction courses at me and it was a survey. So it was nine weeks of each language. So it, that's how it began. And then I uh, was asked to teach English and Italian diction at Yale for a year. And during the course of that year, uh, the dean at the uh, at Manhattan School of Music contacted Doris Yard Cross at Yale as and saying we need to get someone immediately to replace our English diction teacher. Do you have any ideas? And she said yes, I do. And I walked in the next day and met this class and went great. What book are you using? Great. <laughs> and just sort of <laughs> took over um, gradually. So it's actually something that chose me rather than right. I choosing it. Right place at the and right I time. Think, yeah. And I think a lot of people have told me that that actually happens for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense, right? I think sometimes we just happen to be standing there when somebody needs something and, and you walk in and as soon, as soon as you find your niche, you kind of know that it, that's what it is. And did you feel yeah. that with, with diction coaching? Um, or did it I, take a while? I did. Well, I did because it kind of combined. I was always much more, very interested, you know, in literature courses and in languages and it kind of combined a lot of interests. And, and also it sort of, for me, I had worked with diction coaches, and so my goal was to make sure that all the notes that I gave singers were things that could help, would free them up vocally, mm -hmm. in addition to make it expressive and mm -hmm. communicative. Because if I was giving them notes that was tying them up in knots, then they were going to have to throw that away and just discard it at the door as they were leaving yeah. my coaching room. Yeah. So it's always been my mission to make it that they're singing well 
while they're singing in English as, a, as a, also um, clearly and expressively. Do you think that diction aids a singer in their own comprehension and expression of text? Well, I do because singers usually are not traditionally trained as an actor right. with lots and lots of text work. So they really often don't have time to consider what are the operative words, what needs to come out in the phrase to communicate the thought. Uh, so we spend a lot of time on that. And, and then also they're trained to have the best tone that they can on every single syllable that they're mm. creating, you know, vocally. And so that sort of gets them off track with how would they naturally say it as they speak. Right. Because they're working on every single syllable on every single note. So sort of getting them back that they can still sing really well, but highlight and sing into the stressed words more and and actually doubling consonants uh, that happens in heightened speech. Because mm. in singing is uh, very similar to dance in that it's a very stylized usage of the same musculature we use for walking as we would for talking. You know, it's it's talking, but it is then stylized where you've got the palate raised, everything is in slow motion, you're up in the extreme ranges of your voice. And how do you maneuver around that and get these words clear and still get the sound out, you know, without compromising the sound. Right. So it's a lot of things to think about all at once. Yeah. Yes. So Francesca Zambello says that you're a secret weapon in the rehearsal process. Uh, ah. What it, it, what does she mean by that? Talk, talk to me about what what it, how you uh, how you work inside of the rehearsal of an opera. Well, very often I'm I'm in the rehearsal, listening to the rehearsal, listening to what her notes are or any director's notes on what they would like more of in terms of the text or what the the character is what they're trying to, you know, to get across with the character. And then I give the, the singer skills on how to make that happen in a vocal line. So there's not an immediate transfer. They go, okay, fine. I'll do that. Mm -hmm. They don't really know what needs to happen in order to get some word colored a certain way or to bring it out in the phrase. So I think that's what she means. Mm -hmm. um, and you've, it, it, it says in your bio that you've coached and prepared more than 300 professional opera productions in English. So um, what, what have you learned uh, for yourself as a coach over the course of just doing all of those? Do you, do you feel like you approach these, uh, these productions differently now than you did very early on? How, what, what is it that you walk in the door ready to, to deal with when you walk into an English production? Uh, I think, I don't know if it's changed or I've just sort of fine-tuned it over the years, perhaps. Um, I think I'm always listening for intelligibility if mm -hmm. if very often if it, if i'm not getting a thought that's mm -hmm. transmitted then to go back and and work on that or consonants that are dropped or vowels that are so modified that we don't understand what the word is or just i think the the biggest thing also is to make it sound real and honest yeah. so that the so it sounds like a real language i remember sitting next to someone in a in a performance of one of the shows I worked on and you know, they were, I don't think they were in the business. They were just sort of audience members. And uh, this man leaned over to his friend and said, you know, I would love it if they could just speak, sing the way we speak. Mm. And I thought that's very interesting. 
mm-hmm. be, because it needs so it needs to come across that way that it sounds truthful and honest with vowel sounds. That doesn't mean that they're not modifying. They're doing the things that they need to do to create the sound and the space that they need. But for the listener, it still has to read in the house as real language. Yeah, that seems like such a, um, well, first of all, it is such a tricky thing, right? Because we do form our words so differently when we're trying to sing. But um, I, I I find it interesting that, uh, that, that, that that person said that, because I think about the fact that, that we don't, you know, and in speaking to Stefano uh, De Peppo, uh, who, I, who I spoke to a little earlier, um, mm-hmm. the, he said, of course, a similar thing about, about Italian. And of course, we don't think about it when it's in another language. But somehow when we come in and we sit down and we're listening to English being sung, we expect it to sound the way that we talk, even though it's, it's, it's such a different way of communicating. I, I, I just find that very interesting. Well, I think, yes, I, I think that's true. But we also have an audience where it's, if you're in a country where English is the vernacular, then you've got an, an entire audience of experts where they have their own ears and they can go, well, that sounded real artificial or that right. just sounded fake or that doesn't really sound like real English, you know, so they yeah. can, they're, they're experts. And so, it, it, I think the stakes are higher than if if you're hearing something in Italian and you're not in a, a country where they speak Italian or fluent Italian. You're happy with hearing maybe 30 words and go, oh, yes, I heard adio and, right. you know, <laughs> the key words. And not every single word, but in English, everybody wants to hear every single word. And the, yeah. the expectation, I think, from coming from watching television, from streaming films and being able to go back and listen over and over to films, they want to get the text all the time. It's not, you know, they're not pleased if you go up in the high range and all of a sudden we get nothing for right. 30 right. seconds or, or longer. So I I just think the the expectations are different when you're in an English-speaking country. Yeah, I, I I agree. And I sort of going down that same road of being in the, the vernacular of the audience, um, What? how do you approach sort of regional accents and dialects uh, when when you're looking at when you're looking at opera, like something that I remember working on Cold Mountain and um, and us dealing with we had a diction coach who came in and was dealing with uh, the fact that some people were from South Carolina and some people from North Carolina and Georgia mm-hmm. And how are the different accents and what is a southern accent versus versus a more northern sound when we had some of our union soldiers come through? How much does that come into play when you're working uh, in opera? It it does quite a bit, especially with contemporary pieces. Mm-hmm, I think more and more and more. Um, so and it really d- defines the character mm-hmm. and it can, it can establish social structure mm-hmm. and family, you know, connections. So all those things are very, very important. And I think that's what was the inspiration from talking, hearing this man say, I'd like to hear them speak like, you know, like they're speaking, sing like they're speaking. So I always try to accommodate what is the accents of the character or the piece. And I I'm, I'm, don't make the final decision on that. It's usually sure. the directorial team that determines if, you know, what, you know, how much they want of accent work and, um, to make it because because to me it it is as important as in sort of establishing the locale mm-hmm. as as the set is you can really if you just do a black box version of something and they're all just four boxes 
doing a scene, if the accent is there, all of a sudden they're in other places, right. you know, based on on how the language is used. So I think it is, and I think we're trending more and more towards that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would say 30, 40 years ago when I first started, everything was in mid-Atlantic, everything was sort of this whitewash of neutralized, it wasn't British, it wasn't American, and everybody just sort of stayed in that regardless of the setting of the piece. Now it's very, very specific. I mean, yes, most things are in neutral American, which is sort of like a broadcast speech you would have on television, or or um, British received British pronunciation. Uh, but then there are all the and they are platforms for all these other accents. So it's sort of adding and subtracting characteristics of Southern and characteristics of this um, th- this wonderful. Uh, voice coach at Juilliard once told me, Wendy Waterman, I don't know if you know this name, Mm -hmm. she said, in theater, we're dealing with illusion. And so that's how I approach dialects, is that it's an illusion of the accent. It's not 100% of the accent, because you never want to go into the area of caricature. Sure. But you're hinting at that accent and establishing a locale and a, you know, a social strata that is very important, but again, it's, it's, it's the illusion of it. And and so it's characteristics. It's not all of it a hundred percent. Yeah. That makes perfect sense because it, it, once it, you're right, once it gets too strong, then we, we start to feel like we're watching a cartoon version of, of each of these things. Well, I think, I don't know if you ever, if you saw the film Fargo, do you remember Fargo? Yes. And I've had several people, who were from that area that said, I can't believe they did that. That doesn't sound like us at all. And then they went home to visit home. And they went, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, the thing is, no one really wants to listen to a mirror of their accent. Right. You know, you can get, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a new Midwestern accent, but you don't, you, you, you don't want to hear 100% of it. It's not under a microscope. Yeah. It's the, it's the, the cadence of the language. It's the, it's the, um, movement of the language it's how fast it goes what happens you know those kinds of things that that really are characteristic of yeah of each of these accents i it's, think it's like a set that hints at locale it's right you know you can't put the actual city on stage but but you can give a few little things that make you say oh we are in paris <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that makes exactly sense. yeah um, how much research do you do you have to do to go into these accents and, and, and uh, dialects? Well, I, I always begin, I, I love this website. I don't know if you know, um, International Dialects of English Archives. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? No, I am now. If you would Google that. Yeah, but it's, or uh, yes, the acronym is IDEA. If you look okay. at that, you go on and it shows, it has recordings, live recordings of people, not actors, speaking um uh, they read a, a passage the rainbow passage everybody reads the same passage and then they have a biographical paragraph where they just talk about their background and whatever and so in the course of and and if all different countries speaking english and all different areas of the united states all over any english-speaking country of course but then they have some that are from korea from china from russia from wherever and so you can listen to real people reading the same passage and hear 
what the variants are. Yeah, that's cool. And, and so I always start with that. Um, I use a lot of the Diane Plesha Lane mm-hmm. uh, pamphlets that she has that, that are great just as a basis as well. Sometimes I, I stay away from, from phonetics because I find so many of the vowels are in the cracks between mm. two vowels mm-hmm. that if you actually give it a symbol, then they're, they've gone too far. Got it. So Got it's it. more, yeah. And, in, and a lot of it is getting the inflection and, and um, you know, just the, the, the shape of the phrase as it would be pronounced with that, that accent. What's the hardest dialect you've had to help singers attack? Well, I had to do one at Juilliard. They decided to do, this was Ed Berkeley's production, and he did Midsummer Night's Dream, and he said it in Bombay. So everybody had an Indian accent. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that must have taken a while. So that was the hardest one. And then the day after it was over, they all sort of knocked on my door and said, can we could it? Can you help us put it back in British so we could use this for auditions? <laughs> you know, because not everybody's right. going to be. <laughs> well, and I, it, it, it seems that once you've learned something in that strong of an accent, that uh, that unlearning it would would be a whole <laughs> would be a whole thing. <laughs> well, I I don't know, but it was was very fun to work on, and you know, uh, because it's a very clipped language, yeah. it's a very yeah. staccato language which kind of goes against the vocal, lyrical vocal line. So trying to make that appear to be happening was, was, was pretty interesting. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> Let's talk about your book, Singing and Communicating in English. This was published in 2008. Um, and it, has it, is it used in schools? Does it have a wide readership? Um, how, how, uh, how's, how's, it, how's it doing? Is it in a different printing? It's it's actually this summer I'm spending time on the second edition. Terrific. So that's kind of where it is. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's um yeah, I I mean I think it's in most universities and 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 conservatories have it in their library as a reference book. Mm-hmm. A lot of schools use it as their text. Other people use it as in the uh, you know, an extra resource text for their course, just depending on how long the course is. It was de- de- um, developed because I was teaching a full year course mm. and many places don't have a full year to, to focus on this. So they'll just pick bits and parts of it that they, you know, can fit in in a semester or hopefully not a nine week course. But unfortunately, there are still places where they have just a nine week survey of four languages. Right. So it's oh, just man, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what the thing is, it's a long journey. So it's getting people started and then they hopefully will realize during throughout their career there's they focus on it. Yeah. You know, continually, just like they do vocal technique. It's always something that's growing and developing. Yeah, I know. As as a former dancer, I, I you know I remember that moment in in my studies where I suddenly realized that I, I would be I would be in school the rest of my life as a performer. <laughs> and I think I think everyone gets that realization at a certain point that uh, that yeah. you can't stop. Yeah, it's um it's both a wonderful thing and and sometimes a frustrating thing. Um, so you you were <laughs> you you had Renee Fleming uh, write a forward for you, which is wonderful. Um, and she says in the forward, she says, and I'm quoting her, it is a. Tech- Technique that has empowered me with the knowledge and skills to bring a text 
to life. Can you talk to me a little bit about how your technique helps singers communicate? And um, I'm I'm particularly interested in in what she was calling substitute consonants and sort of what you what uh-huh. you do with that. Well, it depends. I mean, if we are in a large opera house, and of course, hopefully, no miking whatsoever. Right. So it's so it's all yeah. So then it's it's actually the singer's responsibility. They they are their own sound tech. So they have this massive orchestral sound, and it's their job to get those consonants through the orchestra, mm-hmm. the texture of the orchestra. Because if they don't, then they sound like they're just part of the orchestra. They are a woodwind instrument, just like you know the, the woodwind section. And so they have to be able to sound like they are being accompanied. One of the ways of doing that is through the consonants. Mm. So I actually have techniques for bringing them further forward than we speak to get them to produce, to project all the way to the back of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of consonants I actually switch. So many times with the chorus, if I'm not getting some text, if they have, um, like, for example, um, let me think of a word, trust or Mm. truth. And that's just not coming out. And it's a big, with lots of brass, thick orchestration. I'll change it all to a CH. So they're doing trust and truth. Interesting. So they're doing a CHR because mm-hmm. acoustically, past the the, uh, the orchestra pit, nobody can hear that right. it's changed. It just sounds like a strong consonant. But it's costing, the, it doesn't put any subvocal pressure on their tongue pressure, on their their sound and their throat. So it's things that make it easier for them, but pr- they can project and it sounds the same in the house. Wow. That's so, great. or for example, a T you can, you say you can change it to a CH sound as I just did uh, things like taking the voicing out of things. So um, for example, uh, if you had to say joy, mm. you know, with distance, you can do choy with a CH and it pops better and it goes further than if they go and it's all this right. pressure under the tongue. Yeah. yeah. That's so so those are things that I have them work on so that when we get on the stage and we're doing the adjusting to the stage period, they can try those things out. And once I've heard what the, the acoustic is like in the hall, then they'll start to put those in. Because I i don't let them put them in during rehearsal because the conductor will go, what are you doing? Oh my Because <laughs> you know? they're right next to the conductor. But with distance and when they're in a big hall, then they can start making those adjustments. And I'll just, you know, so it's those kinds of things. Well, I didn't, you know, it's something that I hadn't occurred to me that that uh, your diction instruction to or or what you would coach a singer to do changes based on the acoustic of the room. I, I think that's mm-hmm. a really fascinating point that uh, so you actually it's it's almost it's almost twofold sort of what you do when you're working in a in a, a theatrical presentation. Yes, that you're you're working in the room with them on basic diction and then uh, working within the acoustic of the theater once you once you move to stage. Right. So I, I go through the entire role of them and we get it all coached so that it's the stresses are on the right syllable and the right accent and the you know various things, final consonants are sounding, etc. And then in the hall, I actually do most of my work with getting their consonants across and giving feedback to the the music staff on what the balance issues are if they right. want this to be clear then 
these, you know, this has to come down or there's one instrument that's doubling them, you know, so they're just aware of those kinds of things because, yeah, so it's a very collaborative thing. And I just yeah. throw out notes and then let them make the final decision whether we're just going to let the, the orchestra rage because it's this wonderful climax and who cares about the text or is, I mean, is that, you know, and, and that is true. That happens with every show. It's that everybody has a different priority. Right, of course. Yeah. And uh, well, there, there's what uh, Cheska's, that's Cheska's secret weapon is uh, just the fact that you, um, your your role cha- almost changes once you once you move into the hall and start. Actually yeah, writing. I mean, one of the things I like the best is to try to make it all work. Yeah, I like to make the production work. So um, one of the things I did for her, I remember, I wasn't on she was doing production of Candide at Glimmer Glass. Yes. She called me up and said, we, we are, our final dress is in five days and I need you to come up. And so I came up and I sat, <laughs> took massive notes and just had these sessions with the whole company and said, okay, here, I'm not getting these texts because of foot noise because oh, yeah. they, have, they don't have any. Yeah. So they have miking on the floor because mm-hmm. they can't put any, you know, for the, a musical with, with the dialogue. So they figured out how to do that so that it wasn't so noisy so you could still hear the 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 dialogue um or this was a problem here or whatever and and i'd say these are the problems and but i would let them then and make a suggestion on how to fix it but i'm not the final i'm never the final decider on that that's that's what the production team does right so i'm a resource person yeah um, what's your percentage of of working in uh, on theatrical productions versus being in the classroom? Would you say? Um, my goal has always been to be fifty percent mm-hmm. in both because I could test things out on students and see what's going to work. When I when I'm not under a time crunch, when I'm in a production, it has to be something that's going to work and not be experimenting so much. Uh, so, but so I kind of needed both, and I also needed to be with more advanced singers who had uh, the ability to do some of the things that I was suggesting, whereas young developing singers who are just, you know, sort of finding their way technically. So there was that element. But then also I think uh, it's important for me to be in a 3,000 seat house and you don't get that in a school. So, just to, to have those kind of spaces to figure out what I needed to do to get it to the back of the balcony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It changes how you think about it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if it, do you do private coaching as well, or are you just in school? I do. Yeah. No, I do a lot of pri- private coaching and a lot of uh, role preparation for mm-hmm. people for different productions that they're going into in different places. If, if uh, do you have a website if someone's interested in, you know, I have one that's it's a little defunct right now, and I'm <laughs> I'm working on getting it put back together. Good. <laughs> so, so no, the, the answer is no right now, but it. hopefully it will be up before the end of the summer. That'd be great. <clears throat> yeah, Catherine, thank you so much. This was so informative and interesting, and uh, I'm I'm so glad we got to talk about this. Yeah, so. my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you again to Stefano De Peppo and Catherine Leboeuf for their enlightening conversation about the role of good diction in preparing operatic text. Next week, it's back to the beginning of my podcast. 
Nearly a year has gone by since my first episode, where I interviewed Brenda Huggins from Guerrilla Opera about their virtual librettist workshop, and they're at it again. Tune in to hear artistic director Aliana de la Guardia and the leader of this year's librettist workshop, Javande Jones, discuss what's on the docket for the summer. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Katora Stickan. If you'd like to hear these interviews in their entirety, as well as bonus materials and outtakes, you can become a patron of my podcast by going to patreon.com backslash words first podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash words first podcast. All of my episodes from every season are available at wordsfirst.buzzsprout.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Words First is recorded deep inside my office closet in Knoxville, Tennessee. A special thanks to Matthew Doucet, Elizabeth Coppinger, and Richard Stickham for their generous support. Urli Doucet for the logo, Eileen Downey for the Mozart, and Randy Ravioli for the minimal barking. Until next time, take care of each other and keep telling stories.